Search engine marketing formulated for Web 2.0. Find it here every week on SEM Synergy. Join your host as we learn from the elite of search engine marketing pros and find the winning formula for exceptional search engine marketing. Get the latest news, trends, and analysis in SEO, PPC, branding, SEO design, and analytics. Now, welcome your host, a founding father of SEO and an accomplished search engine marketing scholar, the host of SEM Synergy, Bruce Clay. Welcome to SEM Synergy. I'm your host, Bruce Clay. Today I'm here with Rob, Virginia, Mindy, and Christy. And I think the topic today is going to be one you all care about. What are the seven worst things you can do in mobile? And how do you actually get around them? There's been a lot of activity. Uh, Clearly, we've been talking about mobile for a while. We've been talking about mobile friendliness in a a prior show. Uh, Hopefully, everybody was able to hear that. As April 21st approaches which is the flag in the ground from Google about when mobile friendly is going to be important, the last thing you want to do is do things wrong. So today's show is actually talking about all of those mistakes. Google on the uh, developer blog this week actually published um, seven common mistakes to avoid. So, you know, when Google says that we want you to be ready for that switch on April 21st and here are the most common things that uh, we see, common mistakes we see with mobile websites. Um, it's a it's a great little resource right there. Absolutely, and you know the first one on their list, uh, no mistake by the way that this is first, uh, has to do with blocked resources, blocked JavaScript, CSS, and image files. And uh, by having those things blocked, obviously it is harder for Google to properly render pages to see exactly uh, what elements are going into the mobile page and the mobile friendliness of the page that you're designing. Uh, And it is uh, really something that they're uh, spending a lot more time and energy talking about. Uh, Going so far on the desktop side of things in some instances, apparently anyways, to penalize a site that is blocking too many of their resources. Uh, from being indexed, uh, especially the ones that change the purpose of a page. Uh, but certainly on the mobile side of things, uh, you know, their mandate is clear. Make sure that uh, they can uh, crawl and uh, itemize and index all of the parts that go into making that mobile page uh, viewable the way it should be. Now, remember that in a responsive world, Google is accepting the fact that for that platform, we are basically personalizing the web page to the platform. Absolutely. I mean, personalization is a big part of this. Uh, the entire navigation becomes a drop-down list. Uh, the buttons have to be big enough for your thumb. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that Google cares about that really is take my website and personalize it for a platform. Sure. That's a big part of where Google requires you to do. Uh, I would say if you block JavaScript, CSS, block images, um, that's a little bit different from having one that says, hi, this is for mobile, this is for desktop, things like that. And there's, you know, the revisit option. Uh, When people come back on a mobile device, if you know they like a specific part of your site, service them. That's pretty straightforward. Absolutely. And yeah, there's definitely uh, certainly room 
to uh, create a personalized experience uh, for your uh, shoppers or for your visitors, certainly, uh, and making sure that that mobile experience is at the forefront of, uh, you know, uh, the, the elements that would most likely enhance a mobile experience be kind of at the forefront of, of how you render those pages and how you serve up that content. Um, so that all makes perfect sense. Well, Google is really big on the war path of user-friendly. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't have focused on mobile-friendly. They haven't at all let up on what they say at conferences about, you know, write for your user, you know, customize by user even. Uh, personalization is really, really big. Uh, Google is personalizing all the time even their search results. I mean, web history personalizes search results on the fly. Uh, mobile search is different from desktop search. I mean, all of this is personalization. And I see that the preferred way Google wants everybody to go is in personalization. Understand your user and present something that user can use. How about right, and I think that's part of it for Google is, I mean, they understand that, I mean, they know the trends, they know that the mobile search environment is just getting stronger and stronger. So going to personalization, Google has to be able to give their users, the people who come to them and search, a good mobile experience too. And I think that's, in my opinion, that's why they're putting so much pressure on everyone and why they're giving us, I mean, think about this is the first time they've been very specific with us. We have a date, April 21st. We have a list, you know, the common mistakes. We have tools that they're giving us where we can test mobile friendliness. They want this to happen and they want it to happen the right way with websites. I mean, I think that is a huge signal for all of us too, but Google wants to help the user experience for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, the, the list, as we go through the list here of the seven common mistakes, um, a, a lot of them are you know, kind of technical considerations. We talked about block JavaScript, CSS, and image files. Um, things like faulty redirects, uh, mobile-only 404s, slow mobile pages. These are all kind of best practice, uh, technical kind of aspects that you want to make sure that you've addressed properly. Uh, faulty redirects being a huge one, right? Google hates it when you redirect a user to the home page, for instance, if a mobile page isn't available from the SERP. Uh, they've gone so far as to basically remove your link from the SERP itself and, and uh, give you a special annotation that lets the user know, you know, that this uh, click is going to redirect to a home page. Are you sure you still want to go through with the visit to this site? I saw that for the first time this weekend. It said, this link may redirect to the home page. Are you sure you still want to go? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Which is, you know, unheard and it of, makes right? You think about it, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, it, Google rarely says, I mean, aside from malware and hacked sites, you know, to basically give you uh, basically discourage you from visiting a, a, one of right. the one of the ranking pages. I mean, talk about a you know a, a bad signal and you know something that's going to clearly affect uh, click through rate and conversion rate. I mean, that's the worst you can do. I think uh, I think you're right, and I think that that's just the tip of the iceberg. That message is only one of the messages that this list. Why don't I read the list for the listeners? Yeah, I was just just so you know. Yeah, we have, uh, one of them is block JavaScript, CSS, and images, so you don't want to do that. The second was unplayable content. So if you have audio or video or anything, it, it should work. Flash that would be good. Um, yeah, Flash might be a problem on some phones, but yeah, it has to be playable. Uh, faulty redirects, uh, case in point, I'm on a mobile device. I don't have a comparable mobile 
page. So do I show the desktop page or do I redirect them to the home page? Mm -hmm. I mean, things like that are a problem. Mobile only 404s, which is I have a desktop, it redirected to mobile, but it doesn't exist. Uh, app download interstitials, um, that's something that Google wants you to avoid on your mobile device. And not to interrupt your reading of the list, but I think this one stands out where, Rob, you mentioned that a lot of these items are very technical SEO. This is a marketing practice. This is saying, we have this app and it has a different experience and we think it's probably a better experience for you on mobile. Do you want to download the app or continue to the website? And um, that's kind of a marketing choice, right? Like, I think in the next segment we'll talk about apps, but if I'm looking at a Yelp result, I might want to download that app and Google's saying no that's a bad user experience that's a judgment call in my opinion well they consider it a mobile mistake I don't know that they actually said it was a bad user experience they just don't want it hmm. uh, number six is irrelevant crosslinks and folks this goes back to you know web design 101 have a clear hierarchy is is the fundamental Google premise in web design. Have a clear theme where we know what you're talking about and we know you're a subject matter expert. If you're not going to do that, you got problem. Irrelevant crosslinks really distract them from understanding what you're about, especially in a responsive environment where you may be uh, content constrained. And the last one is the slowness of mobile pages. Those are the seven items. So if you're going to pay attention to really improving it, JavaScript, unplayable, faulty redirects, 404s, uh, app interstitials, irrelevant crosslinks, and, and speed. Those are the things to pay attention to. Sure. And, and you know, the app interstitials, from Google's perspective now, whenever you click on a result from their SERP, their expectation is that the user is going to get served the content that they would expect from clicking on that link. And that's where the app interstitials come into play, right? If you, instead of getting served up what, you, what, the, pro, what the link promised you would get served, you instead get a, a screen that says, hey, download our app before they forward you on to what you were looking for, that's a bad user experience, right? That's the type of thing that Google is going to penalize uh, because in all instances, they want to make sure that their search results are the best possible. And you're, you're clicking with the intention of seeing certain content, and you should get it on the other end. It shouldn't be interrupted by that, uh, these other types of things. I think splash pages and pop-ups are different. Um, now, they're really annoying on mobile devices, but that's besides the point, right? But when you go to, uh, the, if, if you get served the proper page and the content that you expected to see is there, especially like for an article, and this happens sometimes, you'll, you'll click on an article and you end up on this landing page that basically is promoting uh, the download of an app, as opposed to actually getting the content that you were expecting to see. I mean, nothing's more annoying than that. That's the type of thing that Google's really going to start to crack down on, and I imagine start to demote those sites and rankings eventually uh, if they consistently and do it too often. I know personally if I'm looking for something on my phone and I get one of those instances where it asks me to download an app, I'm not going to download it. I'm probably in my car or something. I go back to the SERP and choose a different result. So 
that's something to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the last one here also, the slow mobile pages, speed is such a huge issue for mobile, but it's important to realize that Google's okay with the bottom half of a page taking longer to load. They What they ask for is the top of the fold, the thing that comes up first on your mobile device, be loaded in under a second. Sub-second is what they called it, sub-second loading. Uh, and that's their recommendation for mobile devices. So if you can structure your mobile site so that that top of fold section is loaded right when you click on the result, um, Google is okay with the rest of the page taking a little bit longer to fill in. Uh, it's totally acceptable. So really when you talk about slow mobile pages, that first view is what's most important. So you're saying well, we shouldn't run Google mind. Analytics? <laughs> Maybe just run it a little well, bit One thing lower. I want to add to that though, like I mean, I, conversion rate and load time, because there's been a lot of studies on that, and I agree, I mean everything you said Rob is right on, and, and I agree with what Google's telling us, but you know, the average person, is, I'm just looking at a chart right now. Once you hit four seconds, the conversion rate drops significantly, even from three seconds and two seconds, which is logical, but you think, okay, a second, the mobile experience, that becomes an issue. Someone is going to click on the back button and go to the next site. I mean, as we get more and more accustomed to mobile searches, which we all are, our attention span and what we're willing to tolerate is just decreasing. So. I mean, that's something you have to consider is yes on the side. Of course, the analytics when you make sure things um, above the fold render quickly, but just in general, your load time is going to impact conversion. Well, uh, let me take it one step farther from the standpoint of futures research, which is something we do a lot here. Um, it's only a matter of time until I'm talking to a search engine on my refrigerator, my microwave, my stove, my furnace, my air conditioner, my lights, my watering system. Uh, we, we know in a few years home automation is going to be massive and it's all going to be probably voice activated, I would imagine, and it's all going to be this kind of stuff. You can't redirect your refrigerator, <laughs> you probably should try not to. So I would imagine a lot of this stuff is going to be an interface that is bigger than a mobile device. I think really Google is already planning. Are for talking to ourselves? <laughs> 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 okay, uh, actually I think this ties into apps. And apps and mobile websites uh, are very complementary. You know, it's kind of how you interact with the internet. Um, I think that the Internet of Things will be using apps in order to interface with our house and that kind of thing. So let's um, take a quick break because uh, after that we are going to talk about apps as Bruce promised and um, we have a, a bit of um, a debate coming up for you because some people see on different sides of um, the issue. Uh, so stay right there for more SEM Synergy. Don't go away. SEM Synergy will be right back. Do you want to optimize and grow your business? Then master your skills in conversion rate optimization. Sign up for Conversion Conference Las Vegas 2015, happening on May 12th through the 14th. It's Brasco from Webmaster Radio inviting you to the biggest and only conversion conference in the United States this year. Join your colleagues in the world's leading conversion experts, including Tim Ash, Amy Africa, Lance Loveday, Natalie Nahai, plus 40 of your favorite optimizers. Learn to create persuasive content, design landing pages that trigger your visitors to action, and convert blog readers into customers. Come to Conversion Conference, the conference that pays for itself in no time. 
WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get a $100 discount on their pass. Register early and get full access for only $897 when you use discount code WMFM. Simply register online at conversionconference.com with the code WMFM. That's conversionconference.com, code WMFM. Hurry, save your seat before they sell out. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is authoritylabs.com. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Search engine marketing formulated for Web 2.0. You're listening to SEM Synergy on WebmasterRadio.fm. Hi, welcome back to SEM Synergy. So the Apple Watch, that's coming, and that is going to be a mobile device, a wearable. You know, you can connect with the internet from your wrist. I imagine that there's going to be an explosion of apps, like, you know, as, as wearables allow. What about, you know, the Fitbit is, like, built into your, as an app now, and, and you wear it, and you're going to have your health apps, and you're going to know all about yourself, and you're going to be able to turn on your car from your watch or something like that. I know, Bruce, your car is really smart. Yeah, I can turn it on right now. I can actually turn it on from my phone. Okay, oh. so imagine that on your wrist. I think that's um, the Internet of Things and wearables and, and apps kind of will help us run that. Um, so the question is, if if apps are so important, have you considered if an app is good for your own mobile strategy or web strategy or business strategy? And there's so many questions. Like, just before we started recording, we were talking about, well, Bruce, you say there's a million websites or 100 million websites. Does that mean there's going to be 100 million apps? You kind of have to think about it before you just go out and build an app. What's it going to do and why might it work for you? Well, it, it's a far larger question, and I think that what we need to do is um, pay attention to what we're doing, and and go with you know what we're trying to reach. Goal first. The goal. 
if we don't start with a goal, we're, we're not going to do it. One of the things we discussed a little bit, uh, it's sort of a warm-up to this, um, what I will call battle. <laughs> we, we don't necessarily agree. We do agree that there's a lot of one-use applications, right? That we install things, we use it because at the moment it's important, and then when we're done using it, we can delete it. Um, Christy doesn't delete anything, but the rest of us delete things. Uh, or we never load it in the first place. But then there's things that we use all the time. Like I use airline apps all the time. Those are great. And then on the example of a one-time app, your Disneyland line wait app, right? You use it for the day and then you delete it. Or maybe you're in the, the camp that uses it several times a year, so you keep it. Um. Or you download it and then it's there and you completely forget to delete it and you don't need it at all. Yeah, I think I fall in that camp with Christy. I still have my Knott's Berry Farm app from a couple weeks ago, but it was supposed to be for the day only. Well, the, the question, and, and I don't think anybody has answers, um, who downloads apps? I mean, is my target market, and by the way, by age group, there's everything from boomers to Gen Z, 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds, are they app crazy? Or are they very fickle? They'll download an app, use it to death, and then say, oh, this isn't what I'm using anymore. Everybody move to that. And then they move over to that. And um, what causes somebody that's in your target market to not just download the app, but to keep it and use it? And what is the longevity of it? And is that worth the value of building the app? Right. And, that, and that's really the question, right? There has to be utility associated with the app. There has to be some kind of selling point and some kind of uh, user benefit to actually creating the app. And uh, that's really the only way that you're ever going to get any kind of, you know, long-term benefit, I would think, from apps. I mean, um, you know... It, at the end of the day, how many apps do I use on my phone, uh, you know, religiously? And I think it's maybe a list of two or three, um, you know, and, and I don't know that uh, it's really the right solution uh, for uh, every business. Uh, that's certainly for sure. Um, well, here's an example of an industry or rather a vertical where it is very useful, if, and especially for, for the brand. If you're in retail and you get a consumer who downloads your app, when, like, you're one click away from that user to be able to shop you all the time. And uh, if you can skip that s search step um, and have them as a, a loyal brand user, then wouldn't you want to? So in a recent Think with Google um, for their March issue, there was uh, an article called The Convergence of Retail and Mobile, the creative shortlist, where they give some examples of some brands who have got what they actually call in this <laughs> this article. There's a new slew of mobile retail shopping thingamabobs that are making shopping more effortless and entertaining it at every stage. So some recommendations there is to keep it simple. They don't they say that users aren't gonna want to click five clicks deep to get a quick hit of information, guidance, or inspiration. Keep it fun and keep it going. So before investing in development, think of about the shelf shelf life of the platform. Um, which is super relevant if you're going to invest in, in, a, in a mobile app for whether it's Android because of Google's preference to app uh, link, deep linking or if it's Apple because you feel that your users are Apple users. Um, think about that. Yes. Well, mine, if, if I look at my phone, I use the Messenger. I use Skype a lot. Mm -hmm. I use Google for searches. 
I use airlines and things like that. Um, Do you use Google Now? No. Oh, wait, wait that's for Android. I'm on an iPhone. The Maps app is really useful. Um, yeah, but anytime I need a map, I'm usually in my car. I have a full navigation in my car. Um, and by the way, I mean, it works. Everything works. I have, you know, the Corvette apps on my phone. I hardly, I don't think I've ever used them, but I, you know, I installed them. And, and a big number of these things are on my phone and FaceTime. I have FaceTime on my phone. I've used it like once every two months. You know, I have all sorts of things that are on my phone that at the time it seemed great. I, oh, I also use weather. And I use the alarm clock, right? <laughs> I think those are, I've used the flashlight. And just recently I used the compass because I don't know if you know this, you can set the compass, but if you slide it sideways, it's also a level. So if you want to... I did to, not know that. You just changed everything for me. I did not know that. Yes. You, <laughs> awesome. you, you set up your compass and then if you slide it, you know, like right to left, there are two bubbles and it tells you the degrees off and your whole phone becomes the level. That's cool. And I use it for leveling pictures and... Yeah, I'm a little OCD so I'm always walking around like straightening pictures in my house. So now I can actually put my phone on top of it. Oh man, there that's really useful. By the way, <laughs> even in Messenger, did you know well, that... Something I want to add from a business point of view, if you don't mind. I mean, one thing I think about, like, when I look at my phone, my phone's a little different than yours, Bruce, but my phone, the app's on there, and I won't read them off to you, all of them, because I don't need to divulge all of that. It probably doesn't... Anyway, that <laughs> it very much aligns with my offline life. You know, where I shop on, on the offline world, I'm a loyal customer. I download the app because I do now shop there online. So I think from a business point of view... To answer the question, is an app makes sense for me, it's not going to make sense for everyone. So you have to look at, you know, what kind of mobile traffic are you getting? What kind of mobile sales do you get? Are you a business that gets repeat customers? Do you garner, you know, do you, or are you able to cultivate customer loyalty? And I think if you answer those questions and yes is your answer, then I think an app could make sense. Because I do know now that I have these apps, especially, I have Amazon. I mean, I do have Amazon. I have Nordstrom. Again, I won't go through all of them. But... I go there even more because it is one click. You know, I'm not going to go through all the websites on my phone, but from a business perspective, you just have to ask yourself, customer loyalty is big, and, yeah, what kind of mobile users do you have now? But one, even just to, like, drive it home even more, you know, 79% of mobile users use their phones for shopping purposes. That's a lot. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, one thing I think is important to remember, though, is uh, the development of an app should not replace uh, the the business need to uh, develop a properly structured and especially friendly mobile site, right? Mm -hmm. um, people, a lot of people prefer, and I'm one of them, prefer to transact on the website itself, uh, including shopping. Now, the, the app is a great benefit. It's something good to have out there, but you want to make sure that the experience, the shopping experience, 
just through the browser is intuitive and quick and easy and the development of the app shouldn't replace that you know you should definitely be keeping that in mind as well uh, the bottom line is the installing of an app I mean it's an invasive process for the most part we know that uh, the the conversion rate for uh, newsletter sign-up forms email forms you know they go way down right a small percentage of people will actually fill out a form like that to give you information about themselves no matter what the benefit is uh, and it's even lower when you're talking about an app to actually go through the trouble of installing an app it takes time to install the apps you know to a degree uh, you are giving up some of your privacy you know a lot of those apps uh, will say that they're going to share information about this that or the other with third parties um, you know all of these things are really hindrances to uh, engaging on an app uh, so you need to be mindful of the fact that you're not going to get as wide an engagement as you would on your website through a mobile browser. But the flip side of that is that I think there are, based upon your audience, there's some people who prefer apps, some prefer websites, sure. some will browse until they're, you know, done browsing, but they won't buy on a mobile device, then they'll go home and search for it on a desktop. There are people that use a mobile device uh, for simple queries, things not oriented to buying, GPS locations, where is this address? The, but I, okay, I'll admit it, I buy on average somewhere between six and ten items a week from Amazon. And you don't have the app? And I don't have the app. Once I got the app, my don't have the app. hurdle for buying on Amazon lowers <laughs> so much. Somebody mentions a game, if I'm like in conversation, I'm like, oh, bought it. You know, like, yeah, so I funny. do the same. By the way, that's why I don't have the app. <laughs> that's my husband's Even more dangerous. <laughs> well, but, actually, here, check this out, though. Christy has some good stats about how many people use apps and how many are downloaded. Sure. Um, so, of all the apps that there are, and I think there are 700 million in the stores right now. Um, Whoa. What? Yeah, that was in an article um, recently. So, but the interesting statistic is there, of all those apps, 5% get 95% of the downloads. So, just because you have an app doesn't mean that someone's going to be downloading it. Um, I think in addition to loyalty, like Mindy was talking about, um, it's really great if you're a business to incentivize the app somehow. Like I, when I think of the business apps that I, the apps from businesses that I have on my phone, I have Macy's, I have Target, and I have a juice bar. And there's very specific reasons why I have each of those. For Target, the Cartwheel app has coupons that you can't get anywhere else. So I have to download the app if I want to get those coupons. For Macy's, um, if you have a Macy's card, you get all these discount cards in the mail, and then you proceed to lose them. Well, if you have the app, the coupons are right there on the app, so you can lose your physical mail at will, and it's completely fine. And then the Juice Bar app, um, every 10 times you go in, you get one free. And I would never have downloaded the app unless I was going to get a free juice. So if you're a business, that's what I would try to do to get people to download my app. I also recently heard a statistic that average users download two to three new apps a week. So if you think that you don't use a lot of apps, maybe that's not the norm. Mm -hmm. Well, considering there's millions of users, that's a whole lot of apps. 
I'd like to know how often they delete them after. That would be a good statistic. Or just use them once, right? How many, how many apps have you downloaded, used once, didn't like the experience, didn't feel it really matched what you thought it would, and you never go back in it? And it probably happens more often than not. And obviously there's no long-term value to developing an app that someone's going to install and then Well, and that could be use. a market and generation thing, too. Because I watch, you know, I have a lot of um, nieces and nephews, and they're all teenagers. Some of them are college age. And... They go through them so quickly. They use them. They move on to the next thing. I know Bruce starts out talking about that. And I think, you know, I mean, I'd be interested even to see research on just the various generations and how they approach them. Now, the good thing is that, like, I think especially with what you're talking about, Christy, if you can make an incentive for someone to have that app on their phone, you just won big time. Because I look at that, an app on your phone is the ultimate branding. Because each time someone grabs their phone, which is very often, you're there. Whether they're using you or not, you're still in front of them. You're right in front of them all the time. It's almost like a product placement type thing. So, I mean, you win big time if you're able to just stick it out on someone's phone. So we were at SMX West, and this guy was telling me about this really interesting app he wrote. And what the app does is you get to pick a color. That's all you get to do. So that if you're in a crowd, you can say purple and then hold it up over your head and spin it around and everybody can see the guy holding the purple phone, right? Because if you're in a crowd, you're not going to find anybody else. It's just if somebody's trying to find you. Yeah, if somebody's trying to find you, you hold up the purple phone or the blinking (laughs) red one or the whatever. Right, and you can make it ring three times, even though you're not calling anybody. And it's for finding people in a crowd. There's an app for that. Now, I didn't know there would be an app for that, but you know something? If you've ever lost anybody in a crowd, so you know, I just went to uh, a, the annual agreement, uh, annual conference for one of our clients, and there were four thousand people all in red shirts. <laughs> You can't say, I'm the guy in the red shirt. <laughs> but you can say, I'm on the right-hand side holding up the purple phone. Sure. You know? Yeah, it makes sense. And, and you know, there, there's an opportunity, I think, uh, certainly to develop apps uh, for... Uh, locations, right? And we talked about Disneyland. We talked about Knott's Berry Farm. People are going to download that app when they go visit those locations. There's also an opportunity for your favorite cinema or your favorite shopping mall to develop an app and market to you directly while you are there physically present in the space, right? The, the whole near field communication kind of uh, look and feel to it. And certainly those, I think, are going to uh, increase in frequency and increase in usage going forward. And I think that's part of all of this, right? People in general, I think, are uh, getting a little less averse to installing apps and using them more. So as those barriers continue to fall and as, uh, you know, the the people who uh, didn't know life before smartphones start to become uh, the ones who are uh, making the most money in the world and spending the most money in the world, well, then maybe apps make a lot more sense for, uh, you know, the market at large. Thanks, guys, and thanks for listening. We have a Bitly bundle for you. It's got all the links that we talked about here, including the Think with Google article um, and some resources from bruceclay.com on mobile um, SEO best practices. Um, So check that out at bit.ly slash mobile dash bundle. Thanks for listening to SEM Synergy. Hope to see you next week.
This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.